can you imagine Drew actually being nervous uh, about anything? Dancing makes me nervous. Have you ever been to a Rangers game with Drew? You know that dancing, does, he makes it on the Jumbotron. During the Cotton Eye Joe, um, he dances so wildly, so crazily that he actually gets put up on the Jumbotron. So, Anyway, that was a stretch, but he did a good job of, of uh, pretending to be nervous. Now, what was interesting in the filming of this deal, um, it was so hard. I'm usually the one behind the camera, and a lot of times we have to do retakes because I'll get tickled watching these dipsticks do stuff, and, and I'll laugh and I'll mess up the whole process. And uh, what was going on, we're out here and we're filming, and dude, Wes just didn't get in it. I mean, it's like the story of Jesus, and Wes has grown up in church, you know, so he knows the story of Jesus. And there's one point, now this was actually fast, and, and Drew comes out and he starts doing this. And Wes is like, and he's chopping wood. I didn't know Jesus chopped wood. So, I mean, he's not getting it, just flat out not getting it. So you could tell, you know, you just saw the side of Wes's head. So I sneak out from behind the camera and I come over and I'm like, he's waving palm branches, dork. And, it, and so I walk back and he's like, um, someone tried to tell me what he's doing and I don't know what he's doing. And I'm going, palm branches. Oh, palm branches. Jesus is riding a donkey. And, and I was going, oh, Wes, come on, man. You know the story. And see, when no words are used and you just have to do pantomime, I don't know if you've ever done any of that stuff, um, played games like that where you're trying to figure out what other people are doing. And it's just difficult. If there's no words being used, it's difficult to understand. And just imagine if we went around life trying to explain things or trying to get things done without words. It would be confusion, just like we had out there. And without realizing it, Wes and Drew kind of pictured for us what happens between Christians and non-Christians. When Christians say, I don't need to tell anyone about my belief in Jesus. I'll let my actions do the talking. Can you understand why non-Christians might be confused? They know you show up on Sunday, but then, then actions aren't, aren't really consistent the rest of the time. And see, non-Christians need an interpreter. Not Wes, unless, you know, he's your neighbor. He's my neighbor. He, he interprets life for me quite a bit. And, and because it's funny, we have a good time, we laugh, and, and that's fun, but non-Christians need an interpreter. And if you're a Christ follower, you are that interpreter for non-Christians. Or as the Bible calls it, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Not yet. There we go. That was almost Jesus. But we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, do you know what an ambassador is? I mean, you've heard about them, right? We have ambassadors. Someone from country A is assigned by the government to go to country B. But you're not a citizen of country B. Let's say that somebody goes from the United States to Mexico. You are not a, a citizen of Mexico. You are supposed to be a representative of your government. And you don't even get to act on your own behalf. You get instructions from the government and you carry that out in your new home. But what would happen if, in your new home, you as an ambassador start to like your new home better than the home from which you came? Now, nothing against Mexico and the United States, all that. I'm just saying, if you're an ambassador for England, from England, and you're in Barbados, and you start to like Barbados more than you like England, you start to say, this is my home, not England is my home. Do you know what you would be called by your government? A traitor. Oh, yeah, some of you are good at this. A traitor. And part of the problem in our world today is that Christians are traitors. 
we've betrayed our king. And somebody going, oh, you're too harsh. We've been laughing. Don't, don't get serious on us now. Well, I want you to see what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. A lot of Christians think, well, I live on earth, so this must be my home. But if you read the words of Scripture, it says we are strangers, aliens in a foreign land. Our home is in heaven. And the reason we experience a lot of discomfort in this world is because I believe God is allowing us to realize that this is not our final resting place. What He has for us is so much more than this earth. Christians experience discomfort because we're not supposed to be home here. This isn't our final home. And what happens is when we indulge our egos, our souls get tarnished. And when your soul is tarnished, you're not a good reflection of your king. And so as an ambassador, through your choices, not anybody else's, through your choices, through my choices, when we choose to sin, we tarnish our soul and we betray our king. And so what happens is those people who desperately need an interpreter, non-Christians desperately need an interpreter, they desperately need a roadmap. they need someone to point the way, what happens is Christians, because we've betrayed our king, we become a stumbling block and we actually keep people from coming into the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that we do this is, we, is when we let misconceptions about Christ go unchallenged. There are a lot of misconceptions about Him nowadays. I want to show you this video, which is actually funny. You'll, I'm lightening up a second. This video shows a misconception about how Jesus views sin. Watch this. All right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles. 
so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. That's a false view of Jesus. That A lot of people think God is just up there waiting to, to catch us. Oh, you did that wrong. And marking down all of the things you did wrong. And then marking down the things you did good so that when you die, Jesus can weigh your good actions against your bad actions. But if you just, if you just do the math and you think about wrong thoughts, wrong actions, wrong words, wrong attitudes, you just add that up in one day as compared to the good that you and I do in one day, we're not going to make it. If that's the way it is, we're not going to make it. But that's not God's attitude. Sin is a very, very serious deal. And um, lots of people say, ah, oh, it, it's not a big deal if everybody's doing it. Well, I want to show you a true picture of Jesus. And I'm just going to warn you up front, this is disturbing. Because this is a picture of what Jesus went through because of sin. Watch this. Mutate, placer. Acum clave, da? No. Kang. Unstrand au discoa di bepur. Prova istud. Quale? Nime sa parlo. Gusta! Gusta! Quit, fuck! can't watch the movie without getting sick to my stomach. Um, Mel Gibson wanted to have a very realistic portrayal of 
of what um, crucifixion was like. And we're told that Jesus was beaten. He was chastised um, by Pilate, who knew he was innocent, in hopes that the, the Jews wouldn't insist on Jesus dying. But here's, here's what I want, the point that I want to make. I'm, I'm not trying to make you squeamish or anything, but the point is, this is on your listening guide, that sin costs. Um, we're all caught up in how much gas costs. It's killing me. If you buy a car, you know that cars cost. If you buy a house, you know that house costs. It's nothing compared to what sin costs. And I want you to see Isaiah 53, 5. Now, this was written several hundred years before Jesus was even born. This is what's called a prophetic utterance about Jesus. Isaiah, by the power of God, Isaiah was able to see what was going to happen in the future, and here's what he wrote. Because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. Now, don't ever tell me that sin is no big deal. And don't ever tell me that you're not a sinner. Because according to the Bible, it says all have sinned. That's me, that's you, that's every person who walks this earth, every person who breathes, sins. Except Jesus Christ. We've all betrayed our King, we've all messed up our souls because we choose to sin. And our sin cost Jesus Christ His life. Now, that brings me to the second point. Sin is serious. It costs Jesus. But Jesus paid the cost. And, and if, you're a, if you're a thinking person, you're going to say, how could he do it? Why would he do that for me? And it's, it's very simple. It's because he loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what this world says about you. He died because He loves you. He died because you and I are sinners. And He knew that we were bound for an eternity in hell. And so He made the choice. He would rather... He could have saved Himself. He, it says in the Bible that He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and deliver Him. But it was for the very reason. The reason He came was so that you and I might live in eternity. He would rather die for us than live without us. By His wounds, you and I have the opportunity to be healed. Because... It's offered to all, but not all are saved. And, and that's because there is a transaction that has to happen. In order for me to come into the presence of a holy God, the Bible says a holy God cannot look upon sin. Anything unholy. Sin, uh, holiness is perfection without sin. You and I are not perfect, so God can't look upon us. We can't come into a perfect place called heaven on our own. So God sent Jesus to die on our behalf. But in order for me to get forgiveness from my sins, this transaction has to happen. I have to take my life, my sins, lay them at the foot of the cross. And the Bible says when that happens, then my, my junk is transferred onto the perfect Savior. And I get into heaven based on His ticket, based on His perfection, not on my perfection. And, and anybody in their right mind would make that transaction. But we're not all in our right mind, as we looked at last week. The God, little g, lowercase g, of this world has blinded the minds of non-believers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so something's got to happen. 
Not everybody is going to heaven. Everyone that is born is a creation of God, but not everyone who is born is a child of God. That happens only through the transaction where I say to Jesus Christ, I give you my life and I ask you to forgive me. Let's just look. Here it is in, in the Bible. Um, John 1.12. Here's what has to happen. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. According to this verse, you've got to do two things to become a child of God. First thing is believe. Believe that God loves you and made you for a purpose. Believe that you are not an accident and it is not an accident that you're in Palestine, Texas. Hickville, USA. I like it here. I, I believe God has called me to be here the rest of my life in this church. You may just be passing through, but if you're passing through and you're part of this church... God has something for you to do, and that's to take this message to wherever you're supposed to go because you're an ambassador. Believe that you're not an accident. Believe that you were made to last forever. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Believe that no matter what you've done in your past, God wants to forgive you, and He's able to. Believe that you are healed by the wounds that He suffered, by the punishment that was put on Jesus. But believing is not enough. I talk to people all the time that say, I believe in God. The Bible says in James that the demons believe in God and it causes them to shudder in fear. But the demons are not going to be in heaven. So there's got to be more than belief. And it's the second thing in this verse. It's receive. You believe and you receive. And this is where a lot of people miss it. Believing it in your head and receiving it in your heart. Twelve inches from, from your brain to your heart. The foot that will cause most people to go to hell. Because there's a difference in saying, oh yeah, I believe there's a God, and receiving Him. What do you do? You receive Jesus into your life as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. You receive His forgiveness for sins. You receive God's Holy Spirit promised to all who are adopted into God's family. Receive all the blessings of being a child of God. Becoming a member of God's family is as simple as this prayer. Here it is. I'm going to lay it out as simply as I can today. Jesus... I receive you. I believe in you and I receive you. That's it. I believe in you as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and I receive all that you have to offer. That's the transaction where I transfer my life to the foot of the cross and He takes it. And I become adopted as a child of God. Now I want you to watch this next scene and I want you to realize how easy it is to become a follower of Christ. But so many people miss it. Watch this. Catch how simple that was? I have sinned. Remember me. 
And Jesus said, Oh, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. It is that simple. But honestly, that thief on the cross, even though he was dying, even though it was excruciating pain to, to die on the cross, you didn't actually die from, from the, the blood loss or anything like that. You died from suffocation because you would have to lift your body up to breathe. And, and the reason they broke legs of the people who were still alive and they needed to speed up their death process was so that they could no longer push themselves up to get their air passage straight so that they could breathe. So in, in this case, both of these thieves, their legs were broken. They didn't break Jesus First of all, because it was foretold, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, not a bone of his will be broken, but he was already dead by the time they got there, probably because of the beating that he had received. And, and the easy thing for this, this thief on the cross, one of them repented, the other one didn't. One of them said, Jesus, remember me, the other one just kept casting insults. And the one who said, Jesus, remember me, he died and that day was in heaven. Most of us, when we first come to Christ, it's not going to be that quick. It's not going to be, oh God, I, I believe in you and I receive you and boom, I'm gone. And the reason is God has something for you. Jesus has an expectation of you once you make that transfer and you become adopted into his family. And it's the third point on your listening guide. Jesus expects me to grow up. One of the saddest things in the world is when someone has been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years and you see no difference in their life. Some of the most judgmental, mean-spirited people I know are seen as pillars of their churches. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about in Revelation when he says, I've seen you're neither hot or cold. I want to vomit. I've seen people made deacons. I've seen people um, made Sunday school teachers who do not know Christ. And as an ambassador, that betrays your king. Now, how does God... Because I've been freed from the power of sin. Because the chains... Because sin enslaves you. That's why it's such a big deal to Jesus. You become a slave of whatever you serve. And if you give your life to sin, you become a slave of sin. And because I've been freed from that, Jesus has an expectation. He has a right. The Bible says your body does not even belong to you anymore if you're a child of, of God. You have been bought with a price. What price? You just saw it. It cost Jesus his life. And he expects something from you. He expects you to grow up. How do you do that? Well, three ways. God uses His Word. So you want to you see someone who's weak as a Christian? It's someone who ignores God's Word. God uses people. You, you want to see someone who's weak in the Christian walk? It's people that are not plugged into a local church. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. And then God uses circumstances to grow His people up. Because, let's be honest, when things are going well, the Bible even says this. What do we have a tendency to do? Pat ourselves on the back. Ooh, look at me, I'm good. Life is good. I am good. When things are going bad, you know where we tend to turn? God. So it's usually in those instances where God makes us look more like Jesus Christ. You see, God's Word provides the truth that we need to stand by. And, and the problem with, with world religions today that I see is they, they rip... I'm not going to rip this one. Y'all seen me rip the Bible before. This one, this... Uh -uh. They rip out pages. I don't want to go by that one. 
That's too strict. That's narrow-minded. And they, they just rip things out. And they have this smorgasbord of beliefs. I, I like this one. Love one another. I like that one. I'm going to keep that one. Uh, don't judge your neighbor. My neighbor's a jerk. Get that one out. This is the code. We talked about the code last week in the Pirates of the Caribbean. This is the code. We have a code to live by, and when our lives work is when we live by the code. When they don't work is when we don't live by the code. If you want to go grow spiritually, spiritually, you have to live by the code. But you also have to live out the code. You need a context in which to live out the code. And you want to know where that is? The local church. In relationships with people. Did you know you cannot obey over 50 commands in the New Testament if you're not a member of a local church, if you're not involved in the local church? All of the one another's that you're supposed to do with one another, guess where one another is? It's the local church. You, ne- you neglect or ignore the local church. You're ignoring the commands that God has for your life. You can't grow spiritually because God's teaching us to do life by putting us around people. And here's the deal. God teaches you to love by putting you around people who are not lovely. The less lovely they are, the more opportunity you have to grow. God puts us in humbling positions, teaches us to be humble by putting us around arrogant people. God teaches us to serve by putting us around people who demand service and never once say thank you for it. And you know where you find these people? In the local church. Woohoo! Sign me up. That's where I want to go. The problem that the world has with the church is that we try to pretend that we've got it all together when we don't. And something amazing happens. In fact, it's supernatural. Happens. When you and I see each other's faults... We know they're there and we love each other anyway. I want you to see what Jesus said about the local church. It's in John 13, 35. Your love for one another. There's one of those one another's. Where's he talking about in the church? Your love for one another will do what? Will, what's that word? Prove to the world that you are my disciples. That means a follower of Christ. If you want to authenticate what you say you believe, you live in a church, you get involved in a church, you love people like they are, and something supernatural happens, people outside the walls go, there must be a God. Because those people get along in spite of their differences. God designed it that way. So if you want to grow up spiritually, live by the code, get involved in a church. But there's a third thing, and I mentioned it, it's circumstances. We don't live all of our lives here. There's a reason. We're supposed to go back into the world and tell them about this stuff we found. But circumstances, God uses circumstances to provide the environment that we need to grow up. It's like jewels being shaped in the hands of a jeweler. What does a jeweler do with that? He takes a little jeweler's hammer and he chisels off the what? The rough edges. And God uses the circumstances of life to chisel off the rough edges in me. Let's be honest. I've grown more spiritually when junk has happened in my life than when good stuff has happened in my life. But God is so loving that if a jeweler's hammer isn't enough, he'll use a sledgehammer. 
And if that's not enough, he'll crack out the jackhammer. And it hurts. And our loving Father in heaven says, if I have to choose between your happiness and your holiness, I will always choose your holiness. Why? Because happiness depends. I mean, the root word is happen. Happiness depends on what happens to me. Holiness, looking like Christ, happens in spite of and actually through circumstances that I don't like. So if God says happiness, which is temporary, holiness, which goes with you beyond the grave, which one do you think? That's a no-brainer for God. I don't think God is real worried about your happiness. He is very concerned that you look more like Jesus Christ. So whatever it takes, He will use. Now, here's the promise, though, that you have. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Um, for God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. Notice a couple of things about this verse. Just leave that verse up there a second. This verse does not say that God causes everything to happen. There's good stuff in this world. There's bad stuff in this world. God has given us a choice. The most dangerous thing I think God ever did was give human beings a choice because that meant we could choose to leave Him. But it also meant that some of us would choose to love Him. And the greatest thing in the world is when someone chooses to love you. My wife knows me better than anybody else on this planet. She knows all of the junk and she loves me. And that'll put wind in a man's sails. To know someone loves him and is proud of him when I'm not proud of myself. Now, it doesn't say that God causes everything to happen, but what it promises is whether good or bad happens in your life, God is so powerful that He can turn all that around for good. And, and one of the, again, one of the things we've done in churches that have messed up the cause of Christ and given an inaccurate picture of Christ is we say to people who are going through terrible times, well, God caused everything to work for good. My dad just died. God caused everything to work for good. Here's what I learned years ago from seminary. One of, the few, one of the few things I learned in seminary. Incredible professor. And I took the book of Romans from him. And he said, the good that God does is not mentioned until verse 29. For God knew His people in advance. That means God knows who's going to become His and who's not. Look what He does. And He chose them to become like His Son. The good that God will do in your life, whether good things happen or bad, circumstances, the good He will do is He will make you look like Jesus Christ. And so when, when, I hear of, when I get a phone call and somebody's died and something bad has happened or something, what I immediately start praying, the concrete foundation that I can pray is, God, use this to make them look like Jesus Christ. God, use this to soften their hearts. That's something I pray over and over for you when you call me because that's the promise of God. Good or bad, He can make you look like Jesus and that lasts forever. And he, if He has to make a choice, that's His choice. Now, if you study and apply God's Word, connect regularly with believers and learn to trust God in difficult circumstances, I promise that you will grow spiritually and you'll look more like Jesus. And that's what God wants from you. But I don't want you to ever think that your freedom from sin was free. It's the most costly gift you can ever experience. And the way I show my gratitude for Christ purchasing my sins is I live for Him. I grow up spiritually. And I spend the rest of the days 
from the time I accept Christ until I go to heaven. I spend the rest of those days growing spiritually and trying to help other people grow spiritually as well. And when I get discouraged, there have been times... I've, I remember back years ago, I was in a church, and man, I was just being attacked and attacked and attacked. And I used to, I used to come home. Janie would be in bed, because we had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning back then, and I would be at these meetings where people just ripping me apart, and, and I'm supposed to smile and take it, because, you know, that's what you do in churches. And um, I would go home, and I would get the speakers to my stereo. They're like 12.50 each, but I would still put them here. And I would play this song um, by Point of Grace and it would say, Jesus will still be there. Jesus will still be there. And so when I get discouraged, I go back to the cross and I, I watch stuff like this and I'm like, ah, oh, you died. That's, that's a lot worse than what I'm going through. You died and you forgave me when I didn't deserve it. Okay, I have to forgive them. I don't want to. God, it's not natural. It's supernatural. And when I trust God, then He allows me to forgive other people. He gives me the ability to do those things. Um, when I'm hurt, I go back to the cross. When I'm discouraged, I go back to the cross. And then I get filled up with something we talked about several weeks ago, grace. And rather than wanting to get revenge on someone, I want to pour out grace on them because I realize my struggle is not against people. My struggle is against the enemy of God who wants to destroy as many people as possible. So I want to finish today's service with another video. And uh, this is actually one we were supposed to show you a month ago. And it's the song Amazing Grace, but made modern. And I want you to think about the words when he sings, My chains are gone, and how we should respond to that fact. Watch this.
so you all have a choice today. Um, you can you can say, well, what Jesus did doesn't matter, or you can say, He died for me, I'll live for Him. I want you to take your registration cards and fill those out for me. <clears throat>